Hey, it's your pal, One Chick Aesthetics, bringing you the bars low. Every episode, we discuss a collection of fan fictions or a single fic that's good, bad, or anything in between, but mostly they're bad. We're going to start this off by talking about a very long Avatar fan fiction. One that has haunted me for a long time now. Now, this fic. It's called Forgiving the Wicked, and I do like this title quite a lot. It's very fitting. It, it has a good ring to it. Kind of catchy, rolls off the tongue. Although, there is a lot more than forgiving going on here. Maybe I like this title so much because it reminds me of the first death metal album I ever listened to, which is Annihilation of the Wicked. And that is what I wish happened in this fic instead. So this is based on a certain pairing that's pretty rare. It's rare for a reason here. This author uh, was inspired by another fic of the same pairing, but I think she totally misinterpreted what the original author was going for. The source material was not supposed to be real love. It was not supposed to work out in the end. And she was not trying to portray a lovey, healthy relationship. This author that we're talking about today did not do the same as her source material. So, this is a 400,000 word fanfiction that ships. Oh my god. Katara and Ozai. Yeah, yeah. I'll just let that sink in. <sighs> I just need a moment to sigh for a long... Just, I'm just gonna sigh for a long time. So, uh, you know, this is a rare ship, so it doesn't have a ship name yet. So, uh, I have some suggestions. Ozara... Cat's Eye, or my personal favorite, what were you thinking? So why these two? Why on earth, why the fuck would someone ship this, right? Well, you know how the internet's just fucking saturated with Zutara. The author's logic was that basically Ozai is like an older and angrier version. It's, it's a bit different. It sets her apart from the other writers doing the same thing. I guess I have to give her credit for that, though. This ship is awful for obvious reasons. So let's talk about this person's writing style. Um, Adam of the Moon, that's the author name, but I'm just gonna say this writer, this author, the whole time, probably. Her writing style, yeah, she's not a bad writer, I I'll say that, uh, but uh, it's not really that good either. You just don't have time to proofread when you're writing at such a speed and you're writing just so much content, 400,000 words, which is another thing I'm going to be repeating the whole time. 400,000 words, 400,000 words, 400,000 words. You get the point? Maybe if you're not a writer, you don't really get just the sheer magnitude of that. So she finished this, she posted this in five months. So assuming it was written as it was posted, that's an average of 2,183 words per day. So for comparison, every November, writers all over the world participate in an event called NaNoWriMo, or National Writing Month, where they write 50,000 words in this 30-day time span to win. And that's pretty unthinkable for most people. And the target word count for that is 1,666 words per day. But at this author's rate, if she'd written at the rate during NaNoWriMo that she writes this book, she would have reached 65,494 words by the end of the month. So that's impressive, I have to admit. 
Not to mention that she kept this pace for five whole months. And I'll give her credit for that, even though I think she's chosen nothing the greatest thing to be prolific about. Let's get into this more. Let's talk about the plot and the premise. And one thing that really bothers me about this, it's more of a soap opera than a clearly plotted out storyline. There's a lot of unnecessary stuff in here that just makes the whole ordeal long and meandering. And it's just not streamlined. It's You can't really tell where it's going most of the time. If I read something of this length, it better not just be all about the shit. I think it's a huge problem when you focus things all around the romance and you haven't got a strong plot or even a defined plot at all to back it up. If two characters finally get together after some shit goes down, whether that's if they save the world or if it's when they work out some relationship drama, that's more memorable. It makes the landmarks in the relationship more memorable if there's a plot to back it up. For example, I don't remember what preceded their first kiss or their initial sex. It still needs a plot to back it up, which would also strengthen character relationships. One thing that she did do well here, what would have been good, what I would have liked to see more of, their almost kiss was memorable because it was right after she saved his life. It was also a scene that displayed the trust that had developed between them and that landmark in the romance coincides with a landmark in their greater relationship and within the larger story. So I think it just made it more memorable and better paced. Ignoring my personal feelings about this ship and, you know, basic logic, the plot, when there when there is one at all, takes a backseat to the romance and it also hurts the romance. I can still divide this into two main plot arcs. I'm using the word loosely here. So there's the initial romance arc, and then there's something I'll just call the fucking You'll understand why later, I guess. So let's get started. So this takes place four to five years after the series ends. What happens is Katara flees to the Fire Nation because she's like afraid because Aang wants to marry her and she's like, no. You know, honestly relatable. Like I'm, I'm about her age in the fic and the idea of marriage scares the shit out of me. Also, with that in mind, if a much older man was interested in me, I would be freaked the fuck out. Just the concept of marriage as a whole, not like marriage to a specific person freaks me out. It's a very adult thing and she's she's only 19 here. So uh, what happens is Zozuka's on the throne and he's like, oh, my father is sick and dying because his bending was taken away or some bullshit. Basically, excuse to set them up, I guess. He needs Katara to heal him with her convenient healing powers trademark. Why didn't this illness appear sooner? I mean, it's been four to five years after the series and after he lost his bending, you know, after he got annihilated by a 12-year-old. Well, it's so that the author can age Katara up, so this isn't just straight-up pedophilia. Yeah, technically it would be legal by our standards, but still really creepy. So I want to open this up by talking about Zuko and how he's portrayed here. So he's basically a little bitch. I mean, I feel bad for him. If, if you're in love with a girl and she starts fucking your dad, who also happens to be like the worst person ever, that's that really sucks ass, you know? So he spends a lot of time moping about his unrequited love. He also like low-key becomes an alcoholic. I would hope that he would fall out of love with her considering that... Not only is she pursuing your dad, but also your dad is high-key a piece of shit who treated you like garbage your whole life. But it's not really a deal-breaker for him, for some reason. Just, like, be like, no, this isn't happening here. You're not my friend anymore. So he really, he doesn't have much of a backbone here. Like, come on, man. 
you're running a nation and your your dad is a war criminal and it, he should be in jail he, he took him out so that uh he could be healed and it's kind of a secret that he's not in jail but news eventually gets out into the public that's part of the plot later on basically what i'm saying is that zuko does not have to listen to him or do him any favors whatsoever you know what happened to your spine bruh last time i checked you had one you can't really feel that bad for him because he has all the power to stop this from happening but he does nothing because he's a weak little bitch here so for example when he walks in on them almost kissing the first time and then later when he walks in on them having sex once i will get to that scene later i love that scene it's hilarious he doesn't break it up he needs to be like bitch this ain't happening in my house you you go back to antarctica you go back to prison i'm not tolerating this bullshit that's what he would have done if he had a spine in this fic. So he also puts Katara in his mother's chambers because he's just asking for it at this point, isn't he? And yeah, they keep comparing her to his mom and it, it it's just like, man, this is not going to go well, is it? I'm pretty sure all the servants and like all of the palace staff like low-key think that he's gay because he's refusing to date anyone because he has one true love and it's unrequited. Oh no, but but don't worry, kid. She'll give you some new siblings to play with and maybe you can have a good relationship with your little sister this time, right? So yeah, he's he's basically a, like a kind of a weak bitch here get to the romance actually let's get into the plot a bit i can kind of see how these two would work together personality wise and they are spending a lot of time together as she tries to cure him of his sickness it's it's just two people getting to know each other and as you get to know people a lot of the time you're like oh this person is cool i want to be friends with them i think it's pretty natural a lot of it is like they have, have conversations and shit they get to know each other so i want to talk about how he's portrayed in this he's not evil in this in this fic it's like kind of in the past for him he doesn't have any nefarious plans and they worry that he might try to run off on them now that he's out of jail but he's just like nah man he still he doesn't really get a redemption arc here either he doesn't really seem to show remorse for anything that he's done in the past he still treats zuko like shit and god damn it man if you're dating someone and they treat your friend like shit not to mention that your friend is his son then you should be like oh this is a bad person i shouldn't date him but uh this never happens there there is a bit of forced physical contact i feel like it's really manufactured at times but overall there is like them getting to know each other but um i mean healing is an intimate process i guess there is stuff where they like accidentally fall on each other and it's kind of bullshit I have to talk about the handcuff scene. Yeah, right away you're probably thinking, oh, this is some kinky shit. Uh, kind of. So basically what happens is uh, Ozlai has a bad dream and Katara comes in to help him and he ends up choking her out in his confusion and later she ends up making excuses for him. It's like, no. But anyway, a struggle ensues and she ends up handcuffing him with ice to something and then they both fall unconscious and she spends the night sleeping on his sexy abs. Like, y'all aren't even in a relationship yet and you're already being kinky. <laughs> in the author's own words, it looked like a freaky fetish scene. Well, what happens in the morning is that Iroh finds them and he's like, oh no, you two had sex. But they didn't, not yet, anyway. Also, he's the only one with enough common sense to think, hmm, you know, maybe I shouldn't let my evil brother seduce this teenage girl. But he doesn't do anything. Later on, he also walks in on them drinking together and he thinks it's sketchy, but he still doesn't fucking do anything. But 
okay one thing i really do enjoy genuinely about this fic is it's kind of a running gag to have people walking in on them having sex or some other intimate moment my favorite scene from this entire fic and honestly one of my favorite scenes from any fic is uh when zuko walks in on them fucking and it really couldn't be any more awkward than it is unless that was how he found out that they were together given that would make it significantly more awkward but it's just so fucking awkward and i think i really have to read this to you it's from later on in the fic we're not you're not quite there yet but i i have to read this for the full effect because i think it's beautiful honestly so here we go Zuko finally reached his uncle's quarters. As he walked down the hall leading to his father's room, he heard what sounded like muffled crying. He instantly thought of Katara. Was the meeting really that bad? Was it too much? Shit, he should have prepared her more for the harsh cruelty of politics. Feelings were always put on the back burner. The young lord came to his father's bedroom and began to open it. If only he hadn't. If only he had gone with Akoda to see his mother. If only he had came just a moment early when her cries sounded less like cries and more like moans. If only he had done one of those things, he'd be spared this. An image that would haunt him for life. Foolishly, Zuko had just walked in on his father and friend in the act. As much as he wanted to run, he couldn't get his legs to move or his eyes to pull away. Katara was completely naked, and behind her was his equally naked father ramming into her. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. This scene is so good. <laughs> it's so painful, but so good. The young firebender just stood there in a mixture of horror, shook, and slight arousal. Mainly from seeing the girl's position and how her face made an expression he'd kill to make her have himself. Okay, I love how it says mainly. I guess that implies that he's like kind of turned on by what his dad's doing. And that's really awkward, man. Anyways, continuing. Shit, he needed to leave. Awkward boner alert. But before he could, Zuko noticed his father turned the girl over her back and lean his head down to capture one of her breasts in his mouth. Katara moaned and wrapped her legs around him, placing her hands into his hair. This made Zuko's eyebrows twitch uneasily. He had never seen Katara in an erotic way ever. Though he had had his fantasies, he never actually saw her physically like she was now. Well, of course, since they were only friends, but still, he never would have pictured she would look like this. See something you like, boy? His father's voice burrowed into his ears. Katara immediately sat up and pulled the covers over her. Zuko, she screeched. As I stepped away from her, giving no care for his full nudity. Truly a fuckless man. And crossed his arms over his chest. You really should learn to knock. Uh, side note, no one ever knocks in this book. Zuko's arousal was out the window, thanks to his dad being, as per usual, an asshole and flashing him. Sorry, I thought I heard crying and I was coming to check of Katara, putting a hand over his eyes to block the part of his father he never wanted to see again for as long as he lives. The waterbender hopped off the bed with the sheets and darted out of the room. Both men watched her leave and then heard what sounded like her emptying her stomach. 
As I burst into laughter and Zuko seemed to cringe, the older of the two men walked over to where his pants were tossed onto the floor and started putting them on as he continued laughing. You've gone and made the girl sick, Zuko, Ozai mused. The young lord tried as best he could not to flee himself and go jump off the balcony. Same. But his father was making things worse. I hope you enjoyed the show, son. It's the last you'll get. So that's the quote. Um... I know that Ozai has tried to murder Zuko multiple times, but he finally succeeded here. That's the experience of this book. That's the highlight for me. As you can see, the author did not really proofread. <laughs> there are some typos in here. Some other things I'd like to mention about the walking in on them having sex gag is uh, Azula's reaction at one point. So you two really have been conjoined at the hip. I'd also like to say that Hokoto enters the story by walking in on them in an intimate scene. And so no one in this universe knows about locking doors or knocking before you enter the room, but I'm willing to let this go for comedy's sake. Back to the story. That was a long detour, but I think it was worth it. He's still sick. They think he's going to die. He got sick because his bedding was taken away, so they think the only solution is to return it to him. So Katara works very hard to save his sorry little ass. And she is able to give him his bending back because it saves his life. And I think that's kind of lame. But he wakes up in the middle of the night or something and he just breathes a big fireball. And he's just like, clearly I'm high. And he just goes back to sleep. What I do like about the scene in all seriousness is that it shows the trust that's developed between them. I mean, it was a very stupid thing to do to give him his power back. But without dialogue, he shows her that he's not going to hurt her and how thankful he is. And they just hug it out. This does lead to the almost kiss, which Zuko interrupts. And as you can imagine, it's awkward from there. So sometime later, there was a kiss and I don't remember it because, uh, as I said earlier, there is not a plot to like kind of back up the romance part of it. The second time I do remember, they go out to the woods to spar now that he can bend again. And, you know, it's totally unsupervised because it's okay to let an ex-dictator and war criminal go into the wild with a teenage girl to, you know, you know, to do who knows what. So after they finish sparring, there is this one line. The two continued their second battle. The battle of tongues. And it makes me wonder just how self-aware this author is. There's different like levels and types of self-awareness, things that you can be self-aware of. So she's clearly aware of the whole their tongues battled for dominance trope. That's like everyone makes fun of in fan fiction. And she seems to be aware of some other romance tropes. And she's also, she thought of an alternative to Zutara. So like there's some awareness there. And I, but I feel like there are a lot of other things that she doesn't get really. You know, such as having a plot and how that really improves books. It takes them 24 chapters to have sex. That's like 40% of the fic. If you're going by chapter count, at least. The chapters do get longer as they go on, so it's probably not actually 40%. So the author is kind of obsessed with Katara's virginity and is like, breaking the hymen is a thing. The author said this was the first time she's written smut. It wasn't badly written or anything. Uh, I don't really remember it that well, but... What I do remember is that she got scared of his dick because it's so big and I just, the first time I recorded this review, I just totally lost my shit here. And um, apparently this is a thing that, that happens that women worry that dicks won't fit inside them, but I've never fucked a guy, so I wouldn't know.
I do want to bring this to attention. This is, uh, just came to my awareness recently. If you go to the show and you look at, there's like, there's that statue of Ozai that's in there and you zoom in on the crotch, there's like a crotch bulge there. But during the final battle, he's in the same position as he was in the statue at one point. If you zoom in, you do not see the crotch bulge. They do go slowly during this scene and it's clear that he actually cares about her. I mean, he wants to make sure that she's comfortable before they go any farther and he won't like move until she's comfortable. And I, I honestly, I think that this scene is all right as far as this pairing goes. Later on, there is like some arbitrary section where they just break up he thinks that she's with him out of pity or something and she gets mad and it's kind of stupid i don't know somehow having them break up is weirder than where they're together i don't know man so that's really the initial romance arc there uh taking it to where they have sex second arc this is the fucking i have to start this off by talking about ursa because she comes back and this author portrays her as a bitch so I will give her credit for kind of like putting a different take on a character that was kind of one-dimensional because we didn't really get to know her that well. You know, she's always thought of as like a sympathetic character, very loving, but the author was like, I could do something different with this character because she wasn't fleshed out very much. Basically, she's very upset that someone has stolen her man and she wants him back at any cost. Also, in, in this fic, it's revealed that Iroh was the baby daddy all along. So there's no real confrontation about this, and I feel like it gets glossed over. There's no change in their relationships. Iroh is really passive. He is passive in the whole fic. Even though this contradicts things that were said in like in the real show, Zuko will still refer to Ozai as his father, and he's like, you'll always be my real dad. I'm pretty sure like he actually said, like, yo, my uncle is like more like my father than you. I feel like he should be happy about this, like, oh, praise fuck, my dad didn't steal my girl. <laughs> I mean, he is a little bitch in this story, so it's kind of weird if the girl you like is screaming your uncle but it's not as weird as if she's screwing your dad and i think the purpose of this information is really just to make her so look like a bitch there is a scene at some point where katara fights her naked in the middle of the hall it was nice a little tidbit of information this little twist exists also because i guess the author wants you to feel bad for ozai he and ursa actually conceived a bunch of times but his father was like a bitch i ain't having none of your kids on my throne i don't feel bad by the way uh Apparently, she was also poisoning him throughout his reign for reasons that I don't remember, but the point is that it made him crazy, and this is the author basically saying, look, he's not evil, and it's, I think it's a stupid excuse. It's really stupid. Even if he's not evil, he's still an asshole in this fic. He does mellow out. He's not hell-bent on world domination or even escaping, like, the palace or anything. He only, like, kills one group of people. You know, like, I guess he's not evil, but he's still an asshole. Now this is when the fucking begins. And this is a thing that, this is part of the story that really upsets me. You remember earlier when, in the scene that I read, Katara started vomiting. She fled the room and started vomiting. That has significance. All these characters are so fucking oblivious. Though I do want to thank the author for not s totally springing on us out of nowhere and, you know, giving us some time to brace ourselves for the news. Otherwise, I probably would have smashed my laptop and run out of the room screaming. So I've ended up telling some people about this fic, and one of my friends ended up reading it through the initial romance arc, and you know, she was suffering a lot 
as one is wont to do when reading this. And I was like, hey, it gets much worse. And she's like, how can it possibly get worse than them vigorously screwing and having everyone walk in on them? Well, my friends, this is how it gets much, much worse. So the characters are so damn oblivious. I feel like at least someone should know what's up. Even though they were using contraceptives, which was something that he drank that I guess killed his sperm, we find out that Ursa was fucking with it because, you know, she's a bitch and there's nothing that'll get your ex back faster than making sure that he's a kid with another woman. Am I right, guys? The reason that she actually was tampering with it is she wants him to finally be able to have his own kids. Ozai does not pick up on the signs of feel like he should have because he already lived through, you know, not his kids and gestation. So he should like know what the symptoms of pregnancy are. But uh, no, he does not. Everyone is fucking oblivious. So Katara finally gets her ass down to a doctor because, you know, everyone's fucking clueless. And the doctor gives her a vial so she can have a secret abortion. And she, like, actually debates, do I want to do this? Girl, why the fuck would you even consider having kids with this man? You know he's a horrible father. He's a piece of shit. Why? Honestly, like, uh... We do get a mini arc that occurs on the beach, like in the vacation house, and they just they're just chilling out, but shit goes down there. So she she decides to tell him that she's pregnant, and he just he fucking shatters the vial because he's a fucking bitch, and like that's not your decision to make, bruh. You are a controlling piece of shit. This is more to show that he's gonna protect the kid at all costs from all the backlash that's occurring against him because he got out of prison and news is spreading about that. Uh, she's only 19 maybe she's not ready to have the kid and y'all haven't even been dating that long so i the author did intend to show that he's committed to her but it comes off as really possessive and just nasty so he needs to marry her so that their child is legitimate so he has to ask her father for her hand in marriage so i have no idea how in the fucking hell hakoda agreed to that like, hey, I knocked up your daughter by accident. Now I need to have a shotgun wedding. Bruh, I'd be pissed off. Even if this was like the sweetest kid ever and he was her age and it was appropriate. But this guy, Hakoda's just like, yeah, he's not trying to take over the world anymore, I guess. So like, sure. Okay, but your son-in-law is still the same age as you and he's also a convict and he's fucking an ass. He's just an asshole. He doesn't even get a fucking redemption arc, man. If, I, if that was me, I would have fucking murdered him on the spot, you know, not to be like a possessive, overprotective father, but it just, it's just inappropriate, it's pedophilia, and this man is still a piece of shit, even though I guess he's less of one here. <sighs> one thing I really hate about this is that everyone is so passive in this fix. Zuko's a little bitch, we've already talked about that, Iroh does nothing to stop this stuff from happening, even though he knows that it probably shouldn't be. Hakoda does nothing, he's just like, yeah, sure, marry my daughter, I don't care. So, I mean, I guess they have to be passive, otherwise it would get in the way of the ship, but it's still really frustrating, not to mention out of character for a lot of them. So, on an international level, the news is out that he's he's out of prison, and they've claimed sanctuary for him, and there are rumors about his and Katara's relationship. So, for some reason, she goes back to the South Pole, because it's safer there, I guess. I don't, I don't really get why they do this. Normally, when two lovers are separated, it's a device that makes them realize how much they love each other upon their reunion. But they're already together. They're already engaged. I don't get why this is in the fic. So just another reason why this is 400,000 words long. It's meandering and the author clearly doesn't understand the principle of Chekhov's gun, which is 
basically cut out irrelevant parts. This is what happens when you don't edit and you post your fic chapter by chapter without knowing how it's gonna end. So also when they're saying goodbye, I was like hisses her stomach and like Sokka sees him. He like screams something like, you bastard, you knocked up my sister, I'll kill you. So basically he's my hero and my voice of reason. And I wish this fic had more of him because he's like the only sane one. There's a long while of filler and that I don't really remember. She ends up miscarrying for unspecified reasons and it's just like really sudden out of nowhere. That's obviously really, that would be really upsetting the parent but she's like i'm gonna name this fetus and visit its grave every day and like come on you gotta move on bro like she's like it's my son it's, it's a dead fetus like have you seen a four month old fetus it's kind of terrifying like you can hold it in your hand it's, it looks like a little alien i'm just saying it's pretty freaky man so there are some subplots to further me the meandering of this story because you know you gotta just reach that four hundred thousand word count Aang and Sokka go to hang out with the Kiyoshi warriors for some reason or something like that. Finds out that he has a son with Suki and he straight up faints <laughs> when he learns this. And honestly, same. Fucking same. <laughs> He's the best character. As I said, I want I want more. It's This is like the only kind of heartwarming thing that goes on here. So they had broken up a while ago, but they start getting close again as they like care for the kid together. He gets to know his son and it's like, it's kind of nice. It's like kind of wholesome and pure and shit. But they do end up killing off Suki late. There's like some other subplots that aren't really that relevant or like memorable even. But what spurs the, I guess the climax of the fic is Katara gets kidnapped from the South Pole and Arnook, who he's really uh, against Ozai. You know, I would, gee, I wonder why Arnook, the tribe leader of the North, wants to force her into marriage. And I just want to point out the irony, not in this fic, but in this author's second fic. It's an arranged marriage between this same pairing present in this one that she has such a boner for. In, in this one, it's like, oh no, this man is forcing me to marry him. He is clearly evil and a villain. But in the second fic, it's even worse between them. Like, if you thought this pairing was bad as it is portrayed now, this is even worse. He's more controlling. It's rapey as fuck. And you're supposed to root for them, I guess. <laughs> But um, Oza gets up there eventually at some point and she thinks that she's hallucinating when she sees him because her poor ass is traumatized. They end up having a lot of vigorous sex, of course, and it's weird because isn't she at the North Pole at strictly under Ernuk's troll? I'm not sure if this can be attributed to bad writing or the spots in my memory. I, I, it could be either one. I could be misremembering something. She ends up getting raped by Ernuk and I don't know how I feel about this as a plot device both in general and in this fic but it kind of spurs like the end of this fic to get started they manage to get her back to the palace and she thinks she's dying but of course she doesn't she recovers a bit and they're gonna get married at the fucking altar she's like yo what's up i'm pregnant and they know that it's not a rape baby because of the timing or something they're not even done with the ceremony yet but he just grabs her and kisses her and the officiary is like hey um I've still got some more shit to say, but uh, you know, I, I pronounce you man and wife, what the fuck ever. <sighs> so I do want to talk about this one quote. Um, I'm going to read it. Fire Lord Zuko ascended the steps towards his father and now stepmother with a gold crown in his hands. Of course, he waited for them to finish their public makeout session, which was somehow very disturbing up close. And I want to talk about one word here, and that's somehow. 
it's somehow disturbing. Do you want to explain how it's somehow disturbing? Oh yeah, my piece of shit father is a pedophile and he stole my girl. It's somehow disturbing. Like, you can't put your finger on why that's disturbing. You've had a while to think about why this is disturbing. It really doesn't take any time at all to figure out why this is disturbing. Like, you could just see their names together. And, like, they're, like someone would be like, oh, this is, this is the pairing here. And you could be like, oh, that's disturbing. But it takes him this long to be like, oh, that's disturbing. But I don't know why it's disturbing or anything. But yeah, I'm just fixated on this one word in this, in this sentence. But, uh... Anyway, so seven months passed and you're just like, oh, wait, seven months just passed? It just goes really fast. And then uh, their kid is born and she's like, she's like, heroes, like, hold your daughter. He's just like, no, I'm going to probably drop it. And it's like, honestly, same. But I need to complain about the kid's name. So I haven't mentioned this yet, but uh, when she enters into the relationship with Ozai, she's like, uh, hey, it's kind of fucked up if I wear my mom's necklace. Then she names the kid that she had with this man after her dead mother so i don't understand what the logic is behind this like care to explain that doesn't make any fucking sense <laughs> so that's basically where it ends but there is an epilogue of little snippets of their lives over the year basically it's like oh they're happy ending they're still deeply in love till death do we part you know it's somehow more disturbing to think about them raising a family together and as opposed to something like the initial romance arc there is like this one weird part where uh he has hate sex with some girl like one of the ocs or side characters who doesn't really contribute much it's kind of there and it's like kind of pointless and unnecessary a lot of the reviewers who actually like this fic thought it was unnecessary too um but the first little snippet is involves koda sisa's granddaughter he's crippled for some reason i don't remember why it has to do with i think it happened at the end god damn it hokoda you deserve better than this you should have just murdered that motherfucker when he asked for your daughter's hand in marriage okay anyway the kid is bloodbending at the tender age of four in another section sako mocks his graying hair my hero my voice of reason my light in the darkness so um ang ends up with tough which i like that honestly i, I think that's good because he got like dumped for sexy hitler the son that they have together ends up marrying katara's kid and Jose is not very happy about that but it's like boy ain't no one happy about you and your wife either so shut up quit your bitching then he he dies like 30 years before she does because you know he's way fucking older than her and then she proceeds to be heartbroken and distraught for the rest of her life that's really it that's the fic um i'm gonna still go through a few things that i think are worth mentioning this fic made my mind touch the void honestly i don't know how to explain it but like when you're listening to meme music exclusively meme music at like 1 30 in the morning and reading the epilogue you're like i'm insane i'm in the void man I think around this time I was texting my girlfriend like about this and she was like, are you drunk? <laughs> I was just like, I'm in the void. I'm not drunk. So I think the romance arc was ironically good. I, I enjoyed it from an ironic standpoint. The second arc just took everything too far, but at least it wasn't M preg. It was normal preg, normal preg, Pre normal pregnancy, normal preg. So the author does try to intentionally be funny and it works. I think that she should just drop serious writing and cleanse herself with comedy. That might make me less worried about her.
so yeah some of my favorite quotes and scenes from this were the ones that were actually she intended to be funny and especially the walking in gag and there are parts of their relationship where you can tell that they really do care about each other and i guess it makes this weird pairing a little more bearable so there is the first sex scene where he he wouldn't move until she was confident enough to go on and there was the there's the almost kiss scene where the author was able to convey the trust that had developed between them without any dialogue so there are a few genuinely good aspects of this fic but on whole it was just too damn long it was filled with unnecessary subplots false leads aimless meandering and in the end it just took away from the main focus of the fic which was the romance and you know how I feel about this pairing by now, so I don't think I even need to go in that. If you need me, I'll be in a coma. But I do want to end this with a psychoanalysis of the author. So let's see if we can answer the question, what were you thinking? My proposed ship name for this pairing. So the author definitely has a daddy kink, or is at least really into older men. Not even a question. My theory is that Katara is her self-insert. She's about the same age. In this fic, she's like 19. And the author, in her bio, it says that she's a college student. So like most self-inserts, Katara is an idealized version of herself. I mean, we all want to be Katara because she's like fucking competent and has men tripping over each other to get to her. Continuing to our other main character, this author wants to fuck Ozai, which is understandable. But uh, romancing him? Are you fucking high? You want to have a long-term relationship with, and, a, and a family with it? Are you, what you've been smoking? And I would say I want it, but I don't want. I don't want what you've been smoking. You have to be like some sort of extreme masochist. And I do want to remind everyone that the reason for this pairing, or like at least one of the reasons, is that the internet is saturated with Zutara. She wanted to make an alternative for it, but it was not worth it. And there's... Zutara in this which not only does it contradict what she said but it makes everything weirder and more awkward than it already had to be I mean this has been prevalent in all of the what were you thinking fix I've read uh there aren't that many but I've there's more than one I don't understand why this is prevalent you've already got to break her up with Aang you don't need to break her up twice especially because it's awkward you like if you fuck someone and then you fuck their dad afterwards like it's kind of weird man but I'm gonna stop knocking her this because the comedic effect of the Zutara context it, it just makes it funnier so I'll let it slide here so uh, the author also states that Katara and Ozai are her two favorite characters. I don't really know why Ozai would be your favorite character. He doesn't even get that much screen time. He's not developed or three-dimensional. He has zero redeeming qualities, and he's like a pretty generic villain. Like, evil emperor who, you know, of course wears red and black robes. World domination, you know, evil because of his daddy issues. So there's a lot of tropes there. The only character trait I can think of that actually makes him appealing is what makes him a good as a villain. The difference between a villain and a supervillain is presentation, to quote Megamind. So he's pretty fucking extra, and he's a drama queen, basically. That just makes him interesting as a villain. I love dramatic villains. But my guess as to why she likes him is because of his long flowing hair and beautiful abs. I mean, that's my reasoning. That's why I like him. His hair is beautiful. What can I say? 
But it brings us back to why would you want to be in a romantic relationship with a man whose only positive trait is his appearance? Like, just sleep with him casually and be done with it. Um, also, I do want to point out that there are some similarities between Twilight and Forgiving the Wicked. There are more similarities that appear in her other works, but I'll limit it to just this fic, because that's what we're reviewing. So, the age gap, obviously. Uh, Twilight had, like, you know, 100 year age gap, but everyone kind of let that slide because he looked like he was 17. But in this one, Ozai is like twice her age. According to canon, he would have been like 49 or 50. So there's like a 30, 31 year age gap. But uh, here the author slots him in at 40. So there's only like a 20 year age gap. He's twice as old as her. Like Twilight, uh, we have love interest is violent, vengeful, and an asshole. But it's okay because he has abs tried to take over the world that's okay abusive motherfucker it's okay he has abs there's nothing wrong with he has abs that's all that's all you need in a man right so he may hurt you by accident this is what happened in the handcuff scene but you make excuses for him um there's codependency uh i don't want to say control here the power balance is actually not that lopsided here there's a completely acceptable and less fucked up alternative partner available to you, which, I mean, Zuko, the unrequited love going on. I mean, you can't control who you're attracted to, but still, like Twilight, there's an attraction to forbidden men. Do I need to talk about why he's forbidden? Like, he's basically sexy Hitler. So Twilight also goes much farther than most young adult literature, as in there is a marriage and child involved. Normally books end after the main couple kisses or they have sex for the first time, but not here, it goes much further than that. So if anything, I'm worried about this author and her taste in men. There's like a lot of red flags here if you go with the self-insert theory, and I, I really sincerely hope that she's not involved in any unhealthy relationships. And, like, she knows how to take care of herself and self-aware enough to avoid bad people. Pick them out and not fuck them. Or I do admire her dedication and her motivation to write, but she should probably find something else to fixate on. And if this is an issue bleeding over into her life, then she should seek help. This was a review of Forgiving the Wicked by Adam of the Moon. And this is The Bar is Low. I'm your pal Wenchkis Thodakis. Thank you for joining me, and that's all for today.